It's Sunday, September 3rd, 1978. Dawn creeps onto the pale horizon of Long Beach, California, soaking the city in a rich golden glow. The air is still and everything's quiet, save for the gentle splashing of waves against the shore and the occasional cry of birds. On Molino Avenue, just a few blocks up from the beach, a police officer stands next to his car. He watches the sunrise in admiration, occasionally sipping from his cup of coffee. The officer glances at his watch. It's 5 a.m., surely too early for anything bad to happen. Most residents aren't even up yet. And despite the poor reputation Long Beach has recently acquired, a once thriving city now drowning in poverty, it's still considered a relatively safe area. In between the countless oil derricks leading up to Signal Hill and the industry surrounding the docks, local residents still flock to the beaches to relax in the sun and surf the waves. There's an easygoing way of life here. So content that all is well, the officer turns back to face the sunrise, perhaps thinking he has at least another hour to himself. But before his thought has had time to sink in, the morning's tranquility is broken. The sound of a gunshot rips through the air, its loud crack echoing through the neighborhood. There's a second shot, followed quickly by a third. The police officer spins around in shock, cursing as he spills burning coffee down his shirt. He wrenches open his car door and jumps inside before speeding up Molino Avenue in pursuit of the shots. As he tears through the sleepy neighborhood, two more gunshots ring out. The officer presses his foot onto the gas, feeling the small car lurch as he wills it to go faster. Within a matter of seconds, he arrives at a tall, derelict building, the Long Beach Bathhouse. Knowing that this has been the site for various robberies and break-ins recently, the officer suspects the gunshots may have come from here. He's not wrong. A few worried-looking locals are already gathering on the sidewalk. The officer leaps out of his car and flies down the steps to the bathhouse, taking them two at a time. As he reaches the ground floor, he pauses for a second and draws his weapon. Silence. Except for the eerie sound of an open door gently cracking in the breeze. Gripping the gun tighter in his hand, the officer pauses at the door for a few seconds. It's the men's restroom. He takes a breath and then bursts through. Gun raised, his eyes frantically scan his surroundings, half expecting to see the shooter. But the room appears to be empty. Well, almost. At the officer's feet, lying motionless on the floor, is a body. A white male, completely naked, save for a pair of socks and shoes on his feet. His skin is covered in blood and there are two deep wounds to his head and stomach. The officer bends down next to him and reaches a trembling hand to his throat, but his fingers fail to find a heartbeat. The man is dead. Outside, the residents of Long Beach are starting to stir. Voices, panicked and confused, float through the air growing closer to the bathhouse with every second. As the officer stares around the empty, blood-soaked restroom, 
one hand still pressed against the victim's throat. He's filled with a sense of horror and confusion. How did this happen? Sure, violent crimes have been on the rise, especially in central LA, but a murder is still far from a daily occurrence here in Long Beach. The officer prays that they'll catch the killer quickly and the seaside town can resume its normal way of life. But first, he'll need to answer two pressing questions. Who killed this poor man? And where are they now? Little does the officer know that five months will pass before anyone finds the answers. The search for the killer will lead authorities down a dark path, a story of broken bonds and betrayal. Long Beach law enforcement will find themselves caught up in controversy and conspiracy. And at the center of this storm is a blood feud between childhood friends and a deathbed confession that might finally set the record straight. At the moment of death, people often have an overwhelming need to get their biggest secret off their chests. From murder, fake identities, illicit affairs, and even government cover-ups, this show dives deep into the world's most explosive deathbed confessions. This is the story of Joe West, of the words he spoke as he lay dying. It's about two childhood friends who grew up side by side on the streets of LA, and a guilty secret that bound them together. It's about two murders that haunted the Long Beach Police Department, the flawed investigations that followed, and damning evidence that could prove that both murders were committed by the same man. I'm Estefania Hageman, and this is Deathbed Confessions. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Long Beach bathhouse murder will remain unsolved for years, infuriating detectives and humiliating the Long Beach Police Department. You see, it's not just a murder. 
the killing is also a suspected hate crime. At the time of the shooting, investigators viewed the bathhouse as a popular hangout spot for gay men. This is not what the sun-kissed town of Long Beach wants to be known for, and police are desperate to catch the person responsible. The police have precious few leads, so it's a great relief when, in 1979, a witness comes forward claiming to know exactly who committed the infamous murder. The man's name is Joe West, and he has information linking his childhood friend to the crime. He claims the killer is someone called Oscar Lee Morris. Authorities are quick to respond to West's testimony. If his words are true, then they could finally solve the bathhouse murder. But who really is Joe West? Why has he come forward now? And what reason does he have to turn in his old friend? To answer these questions, we need to go back to 1950s Long Beach, where Joe West and Oscar Lee Morris grow up. Joe West is born in Los Angeles in the early 1950s. Following the hardships of World War II, LA is quickly adapting to a new way of living, one where modern advancements are beginning to trickle down into everyday life. Roads are teeming with cars, sprawling supermarkets replace smaller local stores, children spend weekends at the movies, and skyscrapers reshape the city's skyline. However, Despite this rapid modernization, some areas of Los Angeles remain largely underdeveloped. This is perhaps felt most strongly in LA's less affluent neighborhoods, particularly among Black communities. For these neglected towns, the pace of change only seems to deepen economic and social inequalities. These are places where poverty and crime are becoming a part of daily life. However, for Joe West, who's just a child at the time, he no doubt spends his time largely oblivious to the changing social landscape around him. Playing on street corners, shooting hoops in basketball courts, and causing harmless trouble. And there alongside him is his best friend, Oscar Lee Morris. But as the 1950s draw to a close and the 60s begin, the young teenagers are confronted with a mix of daily dangers. In South and Central LA, gang culture is emerging and violence escalates. Long-term simmering social pressures also flare up, and by 1965, they reach boiling point with LA's explosive race riots. What begins as the arrest of a Black teenager for driving under the influence quickly escalates into a bloody war. For six days, angry citizens fight back against the police. Stores are looted, buildings burned, and city streets soon resemble war zones. In response, police use extreme and often deadly force to try and control the rioting. This is the tumultuous world of LA in which Joe West and Oscar Lee Morris grow up. One where violence is the norm and economic hardship underscores every aspect of life. Eventually, the two boys will leave their childhood behind and make their own ways in the world. But sadly, both will fall into a life of crime. Over the next few years, Joe West is arrested on several occasions and charged with multiple counts of petty theft, burglary, and even sexual assault. 
It's not clear whether Morris gains a similar criminal record, but according to later testimony from authorities, prosecutors, and Joe West himself, Morris is involved in various criminal activity. As they enter adulthood, both men base their lives in Long Beach. During this period, Long Beach is sadly a city on the decline. Although surfers are still drawn to its beautiful beaches, its neighborhoods are marred by rundown amusement parks, boarded up shops, and bleak industrial plants. Everywhere you look, there are constant reminders of faded glory and economic decline. Over the years, West spends his time in and out of jail while Morris moves from one job to the next. Although they remain friends for the time being, it seems a distance opens up between them, one which gradually erodes the bonds of their childhood. Because as the end of the decade approaches, these old friends soon find themselves at odds. Before long, a quarrel will consume them, setting them on a path of destruction. It's early December, 1978. A mild breeze swirls through Long Beach, sprinkling white sand onto the cars and sidewalks as gray clouds hang low in the sky. Exciting signs of Christmas are everywhere, from palm trees covered in tinsel to billboards advertising expensive gifts. Holiday spirit fills the air. Beneath the twinkling Christmas lights, a car speeds past. At its wheel is 28-year-old Oscar Lee Morris, and next to him is Joe West. West is recently released from prison, and although they haven't seen each other for a while, today they talk easily, just like old times. As they cruise through the streets where they grew up, any distance that's come between them instantly vanishes. As such, it's easy to imagine the conversation they share. Reminiscing about past adventures, the trouble they got into, rules they broke, games they played, as well as catching up on more recent events. West, for one, doesn't seem to have changed. He tells Morris about the recent grand theft charge that landed him in jail. But as the car takes the corner from Ocean Avenue onto Molino Avenue, their discussion also takes a dark turn. What is said next will irrevocably change the lives of both men. It's impossible to know exactly how their conversation goes, but the following is the account according to Joe West. The car travels smoothly along the neighborhood's wide residential streets. West looks across at Morris. He asks him how he's been making money these past few months. According to West, Morris gives a surprising answer. He's been dating men. It's not clear how he makes his money from this or whether he discloses these details to West, but West believes it's likely to involve taking men out and possibly engaging in sexual activity. The answer must come as a shock to him. He knows Morris as his streetwise lawless friend, one who's not above getting into scrapes with the law. A petty criminal, perhaps, but not a sex worker. He also knows that Morris has a long-term girlfriend. Is she okay with this double life he leads? Does she even know? However, as it turns out, the surprise doesn't end there. Not by a long shot. 
moments later, Morris stops the car outside of a tall gray building on Molino Avenue. It would be impressive to look at, with its grand white pillars and intricate architecture, but it looks almost abandoned and has a derelict, careworn exterior. The building is a bathhouse and a popular meeting point for gay men in Long Beach. Morris evidently knows it well, presumably having visited it for his work. According to West, it's at this point where their conversation gets even darker. Allegedly, Morris boasts that he's recently committed a crime at this very bathhouse. But not just a small felony, the type West has served time for. No, it's something far more sinister, something that could send Morris straight to death row. Oscar Lee Morris confesses that he's murdered a man. He doesn't give the victim's name and only describes him as a, quote, white boy. According to West, Morris doesn't even explain why he killed him. He simply shrugs and claims that, after dating so many men, he felt as though he just had to kill one. After these horrific words, Morris reaches into the car's glove compartment, pulls out a gun, and hands it to West. It's a 38 caliber revolver. Then, with a chilling smile, he admits that this was his murder weapon. West stares down at the gun, feeling its weight sink into his hands. Little does he know that this won't be the last he sees of the weapon. At some point during the next year, Morris will give the revolver to West. He entrusts his friend to look after it. Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Listen for free only on Spotify. It's impossible to know how West reacts to all this information. He may be filled with fear at how easily his old friend admits to being a cold-blooded murderer, someone happy to openly confess to a vicious hate crime. Or maybe, as a convicted criminal himself, West thinks little of the confession. Either way, what's clear is that Morris has just taken a huge risk. In sharing this dangerous secret with West, he's essentially placed his freedom in the power of their friendship a friendship which has faded somewhat over the years. But his old friend would never betray him. Would he? In the days and weeks following Morris's murder confession, life for the two men continues as normal. Christmas comes and goes, the new year is welcomed in, and gradually the holiday spirit is replaced by the gray rain of January. For the moment, it seems as though Morris's trust has been well-placed, West doesn't tell anyone about the bathhouse murder. But that's all about to change when a disagreement between the two friends turns deadly. 
The following events are according to Joe West. It's a mild mid-January day in 1979, and in Long Beach, a chilly mist hangs in the air as raindrops fall lightly on the rooftops. In a small house, the constant patter of rain is drowned out by another noise. From inside the home comes the muffled sound of two men shouting. Their voices rise to alarming levels. They're yelling aggressively, swearing, calling each other names. The small house practically shakes at the force of their words. This shouting match continues for a number of minutes, growing more heated by the second. Then, it's broken by the heavy sound of footsteps charging down the stairs. The front door flies open and a man bursts out. It's 30-year-old Joe West. Hot on his heels is Oscar Lee Morris, his face flushed with fury, his eyes bulging in anger. The men reach a standstill in the front yard, both holding their ground and shouting insults at one another. Then, the argument turns lethal. Suddenly, West reaches into his jacket and pulls out a sawn-off shotgun. Without hesitating, he raises it and fires. Morris manages to duck, and the blast misses him by inches. With a crack of gunfire still echoing through the street, West jumps into his car and speeds off into the gray rain of Long Beach. But as he drives away, he must realize the seriousness of what he's just done. He's tried to shoot his childhood friend. And between two men with reputations to uphold, this is not an act that can go unpunished. It demands retribution. In the hours following West's attempt on Morris's life, night gradually descends on Long Beach. Rain continues to fall lightly on the city's streets. Outside of Morris's house, a car pulls up. Instantly, it shuts its headlights and engine off with a click. Whoever's inside doesn't want to be seen and for good reason. Inside the vehicle are Joe West and another man, a friend of his called Bruce Thompson. Why he's returned isn't clear. Does he want to make amends with Morris? Or has he come to finish what he started? Either way, it's obvious that West is expecting the worst. Not only has he come armed, but he also convinces Bruce Thompson to swap jackets with him and asks his friend to go into the house ahead. It seems Bruce Thompson is some sort of decoy. West must hope that Morris will be momentarily confused by the intrusion, and due to the change of clothes, unable to tell which man is which. And so, under the cover of darkness, the two men exchange clothes and sneak out of the car. They tread lightly, feeling the loose stones crunch beneath their feet as they make their way towards the front door. It's unlocked and swings open with a push. They creep inside. A light flashes on. There's a deafening crack as a bullet flies into the air, followed by the thud of a body falling to the ground. Bruce Thompson is dead. For the second time that day, Joe West manages to escape from Morris's house with his life. 
But as he races past Bruce Thompson's lifeless body, he knows that from this moment on, he's living on borrowed time. He has now been involved in two gunfights with Morris and is in no doubt that Morris will retaliate. In fact, it's likely that he shot Bruce Thompson thinking it was Joe West. It's perhaps the image of his friend lying dead on Morris's floor which suddenly gives West an idea. Driven by a desperate need to protect himself, West takes action. He tears through the dimly lit streets of Long Beach, charging through tired neighborhoods, across busy intersections, and along the Broadway. He only stops when he reaches his destination, a tall, gray brick building surrounded by palm trees and squad cars. West stares up at it, watching the rain slide down its glass panels, the windows reflecting the glare of streetlights. He reads the huge silver letters in front of him, Los Angeles Police Department. This is it. West calculates that if Morris is convicted for murdering Bruce Thompson, he'll be locked behind bars for years, maybe even life, and West will be able to breathe easy once more. If West takes another step forward, he'll betray his childhood friend and accuse him of murder. But if he turns back now, he'll be an easy target for whatever Morris has planned. The double doors of the police department fly open, revealing 30-year-old Joe West in the entrance. West stands still, rooted to the spot. He's breathing heavily as though he's just run a mile. The rain has soaked every inch of him. His hair drips with water and wet clothes stick to his lean body. West stares around the police station. It's almost empty. After a fairly quiet day at work, most officers have already gone home and are waiting for the night team to arrive. Those who remain stand in front of West, with his chest heaving, his eyes wide with worry. He casts penetrating gazes at each officer in turn, as if trying to work out who to trust. Seconds pass and West still doesn't speak. He looks conflicted, standing there unable to get any words out. Perhaps he's having second thoughts about betraying his best friend. The clock ticks loudly and rain drips from his sodden clothes. Then, one of the officers takes a tentative step forward. It looks like he's going to invite West to sit down, maybe offer him a glass of water. This small movement is the only trigger he needs. Clearing his throat and drawing a sharp intake of breath, he makes his announcement. He has witnessed a murder. Joe West tells police about the recent death of Bruce Thompson. He explains that he and Oscar Lee Morris had an argument earlier in the day, and it turned deadly, with both men threatening to kill each other. He then describes how he returned to Morris's house that evening with Bruce Thompson. And finally, that Morris shot and killed Bruce. For the moment, West doesn't elaborate any further, at least in relation to the Bruce Thompson incident. He does, however, have one more thing to say about Oscar Lee Morris. West casts his mind back to that mild December day in 1978, 
just over one month ago, when he and Morris drove through the Christmassy streets of Long Beach together, reminiscing about old times and catching up on the new. He recalls how their conversation took a disturbing turn outside of a Long Beach bathhouse, how Morris admitted to a vicious, unprovoked hate crime, a premeditated, cold-blooded murder. As he stands in front of police officers, West must know that to tell them about this second murder would be to condemn Morris to a life in prison. In fact, due to California laws, there's a good chance he'll receive the death penalty. Can West live with the guilt that his own words sent his childhood friend to death? As it turns out, he can. Seconds after implicating Morris in the murder of Bruce Thompson, West tells police everything he knows about the bathhouse murder. He's clear in his accusation that Morris is the killer. Now it's up to the Los Angeles police to decide what to do with this disturbing information. Can they trust the words of Joe West? Fortunately for West, the LAPD officers do find him trustworthy and launch an investigation into Oscar Lee Morris. However, they choose to move forward with only one charge against him, the killing of Bruce Thompson. For now, at least, the bathhouse murder can wait. Police move fast and bring Morris into custody. Clearly, the evidence they have against him is compelling, as they charge him with murder soon after, despite his pleas of innocence. Morris is taken to the California County Court and locked behind bars where he'll await his trial. But it's here where the first moment of controversy strikes. Controversy which will go on to dominate this case for years to come. You see, during the arrest of Morris, the Long Beach PD overlook several things. First, they ignore the obvious motive that their star witness has for wanting Morris locked away. He wants to protect himself. Second, they don't seem to notice that West is not some innocent bystander. In fact, he seems to have provoked this whole situation. And finally, the police don't explain or explore the fact that Bruce Thompson entered Morris's home dressed in West's clothes. Is it possible that West planned his death all along? Apparently though, this is of little importance. At the end of the day, the police believe they have the killer behind bars and enough evidence to charge him. Everything else is insignificant. As the case gains momentum and lawyers prepare for court, only time will tell what West's true intentions really are. In the months following his arrest, prosecutors build a strong argument against Oscar Lee Morris. They take their case to a preliminary hearing in late January 1979, where the judge will decide if the charges against Morris are strong enough to convict him. Throughout the trial, lawyers suggest that Morris has an extensive criminal history, one which may help convince the judge that he's guilty of murder. Their case is made even more compelling when Joe West takes the stand. As their star witness, he has a captivating story to tell and is clear in his accusation. Morris is a murderer. The only flaw in the prosecution's argument is the fact that they don't give a motive for the killing. West's explanation is the closest they get to one. 
He states that the men's argument gave them both an incentive to kill the other. The implication here is that Morris mistakenly shot Bruce Thompson, thinking it was West. Interestingly, it seems neither man divulges what the argument was about, nor how it escalated from a verbal disagreement to a deadly feud. The judge is left to consider the facts. Surprisingly, after hearing the testimony against him, Morris changes his plea from innocent to guilty. This sudden change might have something to do with the fact that, during the course of the investigation, detectives have connected him to another unrelated crime. And not just any crime, a second murder. They've managed to link Oscar Lee Morris to the death of a man called Earl Sesson. This crime is unrelated to the 1978 bathhouse murder, but is yet another instance linking Morris to a homicide. Sensing he's beaten and desperately hoping to reduce his sentence, Morris follows the advice of his lawyer and offers to plead guilty to both. But not first-degree murder, which carries a life term, or possibly even the death penalty. Instead, he pleads guilty to the lesser charges of voluntary manslaughter in the Thompson murder and second-degree murder in the Sesson case. Given the alternatives, the best Morris can hope for is a decade or so behind bars. If he's lucky and the judge takes kindly to his pleas, he might even serve both sentences at the same time. Morris can only cross his fingers and pray that the judge takes the offer. When the preliminary hearing comes to a close just days later, Morris's prayers are answered. The trial pans out in much the same way as the preliminary hearing. Once again, Joe West testifies against Morris and lawyers capitalize on Morris's criminal reputation. The judge and jury find Oscar Lee Morris guilty of the voluntary manslaughter of Bruce Thompson. In a separate trial, he's also found guilty of the second-degree murder of Earl Sesson. Amazingly, Morris is sentenced to just eight years in a state prison in total. Following the verdicts of Oscar Lee Morris in 1979, there's a general feeling of satisfaction. Prosecutors are happy they've closed two murder cases and Morris himself is relieved that his sentence is just eight years. However, little does Morris know that his troubles are far from over. Now that they've dealt with the Bruce Thompson murder, Long Beach police are ready to move forward with the second crime Joe West implicated him in. The 1978 bathhouse murder. As they start the new investigation, Morris's future looks bleak. Due to the fact that the crime was clearly premeditated, there can be no voluntary manslaughter plea this time. If he's found guilty, it'll be life in prison or death by lethal injection. All thanks to the words of Joe West. But West isn't in the clear either. He's taken a huge risk by casting allegations against Morris. He's now given police evidence against him in two murders, as well as testifying at trial. If these risks fail and police don't believe Morris is guilty of another murder, then West will be in serious trouble. He'll have given the police false testimony, as well as providing Morris with yet another reason to want him dead. But if his gamble pays off, 
and police find more incriminating evidence about Morris, then he'll likely receive at least a life sentence and West will be safe once more. Will Long Beach police find any truth in his claims? It's now out of West's control. All he can do is wait and see. Next week on Deathbed Confessions. Part two of the Joe West story sees him betray his best friend once more as he hands police damning evidence. What follows next is a lengthy police investigation, one that lasts three years and is riddled by mistakes, controversy, and suspicion. During this time, questions are constantly asked about Joe West's motives. Why does he repeatedly testify against his best friend? Does he have something to gain? These questions won't be answered for almost 20 years until a shocking deathbed confession promises to close the case of the bathhouse murder once and for all. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boireau for Parcast. Series produced by Addison Nugent. Associate producer, Nicole Edmonds. Written by Nicole Edmonds. Supervising editor, Jane O. Sound supervisor, Tom Pink. Sound design by Cody Reynolds Shaw. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Mix master by Cody Reynolds Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. 